we're on. Welcome back, everybody, to So Every Soul Sings Worship for the Real Church. <laughs> I'm Bethany Pedigo, and I'm here with my friend Rod Ellis. And if you are listening later, um, this we are recording this in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. And many things have changed for every single person in the world. I think just about uh, many, many people have been affected by this pandemic. And it has definitely changed our rhythms. It has changed our schedules. It has changed our structures. And maybe it's changed some of our priorities. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be delving into that today. Um, I am a words person. When I was in high school and my teachers had to edit my papers, they would just mark through and mark through and mark through. <laughs> and one teacher wrote, oh, flowery one, rain <laughs> it in. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> I love words. I'm a words um, um, love language person. So if you want to make mm. me feel loved, give me words. Um, And I love the meanings of words. And so today we're going to be talking about the concept of traction, the things in our lives that give us traction, keep us from sliding, help us move forward, help us dig our feet in, and distraction, which Rod and I both had a revelation (laughs) about how the word distraction actually means no traction or untraction, or the lack of traction. So what are some things today, Rod, that you have discovered specifically during this time that are helping to bring traction into your life? Yeah, that's a great question. When your, your story um, about being in school just like made me flash to when I would look at my daughter's papers when they were graded and they frequently were encouraged because of their diction choices or their word choices. And it's probably one of the things as a parent that made me proudest, which is probably a clue that words mean a lot to me too. It's like, yes, my kid chose the best words. I love that. (laughs) Out of all of the words, they chose the best ones. Yeah. And Emily and I, my 22 year old, uh, Emily and I still share conversations, uh, very often about a new word or a new way to use a word, or I've never used that word and I finally used it or whatever. And so I, I love them too. Um, I try to love using fewer words more and using lots of words less. I'm not always very good at that. Um, so yeah, I, I, I love that. I'm not going to comment. No comment. Yeah, thank you. No comment. Thank you. The length of our podcast should clue people in. Um, so <laughs> This whole kind, I, I was listening to a, a different podcast while I was running the other morning and the the um, the podcast person talked about distraction and it caught me off guard because I've never thought of the fact that something that's distracting disses traction. And, and I use disses like somebody younger than me can. I'm not cool <laughs> enough, but you know, that's exactly what happens when I am distracted by something. I'm dissing whatever traction I would like to have which sometimes is very helpful. You can't be in full speed, full on gear all the time. Sometimes we need to disengage Mm -hmm. so that we can, and distraction is a really good way to do that. Uh, However, it can also be destructive. Um, 
and certainly destructive to our mission, whatever our mission is. So I think this is going to be fun. And I'm not going to, I don't have a long list, but I do have some things that really help me feel like I'm gaining traction and what, what my life calling is, what my mission is. So every soul sings is the, is the title of the podcast and, and my website and all that sort of thing. But um, it really is what, it, it's what drives me. And if I'm not doing things that make it so that I can help every soul sing, uh, then I am, I'm distracted. And, and that purpose is not going to get fulfilled at whatever level that it might. So uh, the first one that I think of is um, maybe not the first one that you would think of, but it's being faithful to spending time with Jesus. And it's weird to me because it's so, um, it's so small, incremental step engaging that I don't know that I noticed that I had more traction by spending time with Jesus every day until I had been doing it, not just for days or weeks, but for months. And, and I mean, incredibly faithfully, like I have always spent time with Jesus and probably most days of my life, there's been some kind of, wow, moment for me about being with Jesus. But I'm talking about the discipline now of being fully present with Jesus in his word, um, using ancient techniques to be completely immersed in the story that I'm reading or the narrative or the poem or whatever, the instruction, you know, all of that to be dialed into that is very different from just having a, a moment where I say, thank you, Jesus, or help me, Jesus, or whatever. And so I think that's an important distinction. Yeah. Between those two things. Well, because some people will say, well, I don't need to have a quiet time every day. I pray all the time. Mm. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, And that's, that's great. I think those moments, you know, that we catch during our busy day to communicate with God are very important, but they do not replace steady study. (laughs) and Mm -hmm. faithful time spent it's it's sort of like a relationship with a spouse right you cannot have a a good marriage based on just snippets and we all have that that those kinds of interactions with our spouses hey honey okay see you later love you love you too you know but that does Mm -hmm. not build a deep relationship so if you look at christianity fundamentally as a relationship then what we are talking about right now makes sense yeah, and to develop that same analogy, when I, when I am more faithful to be fully present with my wife more often, our relationship is going to be better. And when I am less faithful and we are fully present with one another less often, then our relationship is going to suffer. And so perhaps that's why the Bible so wisely uses that um, picture to describe <laughs> the relationship of Jesus and, and his church. So yes. I, I just... I. Again, it, it's it's hard to describe because it is so small step incremental, but I feel like I have traction in 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 the big ways, like the the meta narrative of my life, that what God has called me to do, uh, far more now than I did a year ago because I've had my most faithful year of spiritual discipline ever, and it frustrates me at one level that I didn't start that at 24 or 14, but waited till 53, 54, whatever, to get to that level of faithfulness with it. But it is, it has given me traction. And I, I would encourage those of you who struggle um, to, to find what works and do more of that and just find some traction in it. And don't be discouraged 
if there's another dis word, by the way, discouraged and courage means um, to have heart um, in the face of fear, especially. So don't be discouraged when you don't see a change in the, in the first few days or weeks. Um, stay with it because the traction's coming. It's a good word. It's helping me dramatically. And so I hope it helps somebody else. Um, another one, another source of traction for me is something that I've learned from my pastor. Cause you know, I have to give him a shout out every episode. Um, he, he doesn't like to do this stuff. He doesn't, he had a, an insight um, into old Testament study that he said, I should probably write a paper about that. And I told him, yes, you absolutely should. And he's like, I'm probably not going to do that. Cause he just doesn't, he doesn't care. Um, so I'm caring for him and sharing things I learned from him. Um, I asked him once, I said, how do you know, um, okay, strengths finder uh, inventory, one of my top five strengths is ideation, which means I have a lot of ideas. Tim Harris has more ideas than I do, probably exponentially more ideas than I do. He's, he has ideation. Wow. Just, it's incredible. And so I asked him, how do you decide what ideas to implement or act on and what ideas to let go away? And he said, I don't really write them all down. It's just the ones that won't leave me alone. Those are the ones that I pay attention to. And so in a similar way, um, the ideas that I have or the thoughts that I have or the plans that I want to make, if I, have a, if I have a thought and I go, yeah, I should do that, then rather than doing it in the spur of the moment or announcing it in the spur of the moment, I will That's linger. the hardest part. Yes. Because <laughs> if I'm excited, I want everybody else to be excited too. Yes. So I have to share the idea. Tell everybody. So, yeah. So I try to just push that off of the front burner and put it on the back burner and let it simmer for a while. And if in simmering, it smells better and better, then I'm going to pull that back to the front and I'm going to share it. And that is giving me traction. And so I'm, I'm having, I'm acting on fewer ideas, but the ideas I'm acting on are more full bodied. Um, they have substance to them. They have gravitas to them. And so, uh, an example right now we're, we're doing uh, in our worship ministry at church and I'm excited to hear this. I hope a lot of people will do something like this. Um, we have about 125 people involved in our worship ministry at some level. That's people who sing in the choir or they play in the orchestra. We do every six weeks. I mean, it's not like 125 on stage at a time. It's not that big of a church or ministry. Again, this is worship for the real church we're talking about. So 125 people, those a lot of people. And I, I wanted to do a night of worship with our whole worship ministry, um, our cafe venue and our sanctuary venue. And so I've been thinking about how to do that. And then I read the book, Holy Roar by Chris Tomlin and Darren Whitehead. And um, I didn't know a lot about it. I didn't know a lot about what was behind it, but I just read it and I thought, man, I would love for some of my key leaders to do this. So I put that on the back burner and I let it simmer. And then it just kept smelling like a better idea to get some of my key leaders in the worship ministry to do that. So um, I brought it up to the staff and I said, I'm thinking about doing this book study. What do you think? And, and it took on a little bit of its own energy. And so the plan before COVID-19 anyway, we'll see what happens. But the plan has been in the fall for our whole church to do the Holy Roar book study, which is a four week curriculum, small group curriculum. So in preparation for that, I'm going through the book at a deeper level. And I've got 38 people from our worship ministry who are meeting with me every week by Zoom to do a book study through Holy Roar. And at the end of this nine week study um, for just worship ministry folks now, it's a different thing from the church wide thing. It's, it's far deeper. At the end of the nine week study, everybody will be invited to be a part of the planning team 
to put together the night of worship. So we'll actually pick the songs together. The people who have done the study about the seven Hebrew word for praise will collaboratively plan the service that the church will experience as the culmination of the church-wide study of Holy Roar. Now, I am so excited about that. And if I had acted on that idea immediately and just tried to get some people to do the book study, there's no way it would have grown to that kind of significant event for the life of our church. And so I am Beautiful. learning. Yeah, I love that. I want to come. I, love that. <laughs> I want you to come too. Um, I want everybody to come. November 14th and 15th, 2020, as of now. We'll Woo-hoo! see if the calendar holds. Um, so yeah, the longer I think about something, the more I plan farther ahead, it gives traction to the things that are worth doing and then lets fall away the things that are not worth doing. You know, that principle uh, also works for songwriting and writing in general. You know, we all, people who love to write, they'll write something and they think it's great. But if you put it aside and then you come back to it, you can see it in a different way with fresh eyes and you'll see some things were not as good as you thought they were (laughs) the first time you put it down on the paper. Or that song that you thought was so amazing, now you're like, oh, that's really awkward right there. That's not going to work. Yeah. And some of that is um, the beauty of the spirit in the moment. And and so the, the spirit, the spirit of the moment and the Holy Spirit, I don't know if those are the same thing or, the, or different things, but <laughs> I, we'll leave that for another time. Uh, the, the spirit of the moment, is the inspiration covers mm-hmm. the, um, just kind of that precision or that, that really tight articulation of a turn of phrase or a musical a melodic line or whatever it might be. And so when we separate ourselves from the inspiration of the moment and then come back and see if that was perhaps just the moment or if it really was the spirit, then we might have the discernment to examine it later and say, okay, is it great or did it just feel great in the moment? So right. that's really brilliant. As a songwriter, I, I, I'm not a songwriter, so I didn't think of that, but that's great, Bethany. Thank you. Yeah. Um, just two more. One thing that really helps me have traction is when I get to do deep work. And this is the title of a book that I have not read, but I've heard, um, probably four or five different podcasts where they either interviewed the author or talked in some detail about the book. Uh, I'd like to read it. It's on my, it's on my wish list of things to read. Um, but deep work is the work that you do that takes you a while to get into. And once you're in it, it has the biggest return. So deep work is not something that you are able to do in the first three minutes. You can't answer an email with deep work if you're just shooting back a three-sentence email. Um, Now, sometimes a three-sentence email is deep work, and it's hard to get it down to three sentences or to say just the right three sentences if it's a delicate situation um, or if it's going out to a lot of people or whatever those things are. But I have found, especially when I'm writing um, you know, blog entries or or when I wrote my book or whatever, if it, it takes me about an hour to get to where I feel like I'm in what you might say is the zone. I mean, that sounds hokey to me, but when you get (laughs) into that place where you're aware that you have access now to more of yourself, more of your gifting, more of who God made you to be than you did in the first hour. And then I can stay there for typically two or three hours. And then I kind of run out of energy and I've, I've exhausted the ability to do deep work. And so I've tried to calendar times um, literally where I just, I block out everything else and I just know I'm going to do deep work. I'm going to do long range planning. So I'm going to get myself thinking about 12 to 24 months ahead. And I can't do that in a hurry. So to mm-hmm. get traction, I have to do deep work. And 
there are things that distract me from doing deep work and that results in a loss of traction. And in a way, deep work is dependent upon thinking longer about something. (laughs) Right. Yes. Those are integrated. Those last two for sure. And thinking longer, thinking deeper, thinking more critically, just thinking about the same thing. And, and I, I'm a quick thinker. Um, I'm, I'm quick witted. I don't mean that I'm funny. I just mean my brain operates pretty fast. And so I don't have to do deep work to be reasonably effective. But when I do, when I do deep work, I am far more effective in the things that I feel like God is calling me to do. I really wish I'd known that 30 years ago because I have just lived fast and done shallow work that was passable rather than deep work that was transformational. Do you think that other people's insight sometimes is the thing that helps you the most get to that deep work? Hmm. So I have found that to be true in my life and both people receiving that from people and also giving that to people. This is just an example. Yesterday, a friend showed me a, a poem that she was working on and it just, had a lot of stuff going on. And I, I, I found sort of a central theme and said, why don't you try to focus on this main idea? And she sent me back the poem later in the day and it had stripped away a lot of the sort of going in all directions and it really started focusing on this beautiful idea. Yeah, absolutely. And collaboration can help with that so much um, in between maybe deep work sessions. So she shared that poem with you, you gave her the feedback and then she went and did more deep work. And then what she came back with was more significant. So yeah, being able to play off of each other and learn from each other and be uh, an idea can, can be a catalyst for deep work. Mm -hmm. Um, And that can be an idea that I share or that I receive. Of course Uh, I, I learn differently for, I think I learn differently from how a lot of people learn. I learn more like a sponge and less like a computer. So I take in information from a hundred different sources over a long period of time. And then I just kind of squeeze and what comes out is, is a little bit of my spin on all of those things. And so I, I, um, it made me not a very good test taker when I was in school because I wasn't very good at memorizing facts and being able to recite them back. Mm -hmm. Um, It also meant that my best test taking was always the essay part because I could just if I knew the information, if I hadn't studied or wasn't prepared, which did happen, um, if I wasn't prepared, then the essay would be terrible because I was trying to make up stuff. But when I knew what I was talking about and I could write about it, it wasn't because I was a good writer. It was because of the way that I learned. And so uh, for me, um, I guess a specific piece of instruction from somebody can prompt me to want to go do deep work on that. But in general, I, I, I learn more like a sponge. I don't know if that makes sense or not. One more thing that, that helps me have traction. Oh, oh wait, I wanted yeah, to, go. can I yeah, say one go. thing about deep work? I, of I course. just, how you can't go a whole podcast without mentioning your pastor. Uh-huh. I'm going to one up you like royally oh. here and say, I can't go one podcast without mentioning the Holy spirit. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> I did it. I did that. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> but in John chapter 14, The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. And Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will guide us into truth and will remind us of all of the things that Jesus said. Right. 
So I feel like we really can't actually talk about doing that kind of deep work, whatever it is, whether it's introspection, planning, repentance, Mm. uh, working on our relationships, all of those things. We really can't do that um, in full or the best that we could, right, without the help of the helper, the spirit of truth. Thank you. And yes, when I am doing my best planning in deep work, it's because I am aware of the spirit's presence and whatever got me there. You know, I mean, it could be prayer or scripture or song or meditation or whatever, but yeah, absolutely. The spirit is what makes all that possible. I, I, I didn't think about it until you made your follow-up comment to the John 14 verse. Um, but deep work is also a way to talk about um, uh, the work that you do on yourself and your, and your kind of, psychological state and I don't mean that to be yeah. new agey um, right. inner healing is what a lot yeah. of people call it or right therapy. Yeah. so <laughs> when I listen to Enneagram stuff and Ian Morgan Cron he'll say you've obviously done a lot of work and he doesn't mean that they were digging ditches he means that you were doing the emotional work of understanding yourself and what the implications of all that are so that's another way to think about deep work it, it is a place that you have to go deep in order to do good work and that doesn't typically happen in a hurry Um, Okay, so the one more place that I want to talk about traction is to focus on other people and to be fully present with them. I find that I have more traction when I give my attention to the person I'm with than when I am distracted by the people that I'm not with. And and in our day and age, and I don't just mean COVID-19 with quarantining, but I mean just the technology that's around us, this is so difficult because distractions come... Yeah, distractions come. I I bought an Apple Watch, so I wouldn't have to take my phone out of my pocket, but I still look at my Apple Watch when I get a text. Actually, I didn't buy it. It was a gift. Um, I wanted one because because, uh, if I got a text message, I want to be able to look at my my wrist and say, do I need to deal with that or can it wait because I want to be fully present with it? But I still look at my watch. Like It is incredible how we live distracted, which is – dissing the traction we can have with the people we're in relationship with. And so I would just encourage you when you can find a way to be fully present with the people you're with, listen more than you talk, um, ask more questions than you give answers. I, I am, I'm probably at about a C minus in this regard. I'm not saying that I'm not telling you as an expert how to do it. I'm telling you as a fellow learner that I find it to be far more powerful and effective than any other approach that I've used in decades of ministry or life. So yeah, just keep asking great questions and then listen deeply for the answers. And I think that you'll find that you'll have better traction, not only in your relationships, but then whatever it is that God has made you to do, you're going to do that better because of living your life that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. And what you're talking about is the concept of value. Like when you put aside your phone, when you don't look at your watch, maybe when you keep your phone in your purse during that coffee date and you don't even look at it, you turn off notifications if you can, or tell people, you know, I'm don't, I'm not available during this time that communicates value to the person that you're with. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it that way, and it's, it's, you know, it's uh, condemning to me to think about how often my children speak to me while my phone is in my hand. Like, I should not look up from my phone while still holding it to talk to them. And, and I've thought about that just even today. 
um, earlier today when I, we were having breakfast, I was looking at my phone, which I don't do all of the time when we have mm -hmm. breakfast, but it communicates something about value, Absolutely. good or bad, <laughs> negative yeah. or positive. Yeah. Yeah. So find ways to be fully present um, and, and focus less on yourself and more on other people or less on the people who aren't in the room and more on the people who are. So if those are the ways that I find attraction, and I'm sure there are more, uh, we may come back to this just because it's fascinating to me, but there are also ways that, that we haven't yet mentioned or been very specific about that provide distraction. In other words, they keep me from having traction in the things I want to have traction in. Um, I, I have four on my list, social media, television, um, meaningless decisions, and then, uh, yeah, I guess three. So decisions just has two parts, but <laughs> social media and television are both at some level entertainment oriented. And so to entertain me is to keep me from doing what I feel like I should be doing because my, what I should be doing is not be being entertained. Now, I don't, I don't mean by that that we shouldn't be entertained. I actually think entertainment is a gift. It's beautiful. It's been in existence since Adam and Eve took walks in the garden and paid attention to things. Um, it, is, uh, it really is a gift. I love entertainment. I, I love consuming great entertainment. But that's not what God put me here to do. And so if that becomes either primary in my objective for the day, or if it becomes a way to keep me from doing what God made me to do, then it gets in the way. And so to just social media, for example, it's so tempting for me. Uh, I turned off notifications. You mentioned that a minute ago. I turned off notifications for Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. So when I pick up my phone, I never know if I have a notification on social media, because if I do, I can't resist the urge to look at what the notification Same. is. Yeah. And I think a lot of us are that way. A lot of people aren't. And so when I look at somebody else's phone and they have like 612 notifications or it's like, ah, how do you do You're that? Like, Don't you want to check that? <laughs> Let me do it for you. Yes, absolutely. I'll triage it. I'll tell you the things you really need to know. Um, and so because I don't do well with those distraction, even with the notification, uh, I just turned them off. Me too. Yeah. So I only look at social media when I choose to look at social media. I also really limit my time to do that. So I will, um, I'll look at Facebook if I'm in a drive through line, I'll grab my phone because there's not a whole lot of time to do something else that's helpful. And so I'll just pull out my phone and, and I'll check social media there. Um, if I just finished a big project or I just finished some deep work or whatever, and, and I feel like I need to exhale, I need to be entertained rather than engaged then that's another time where I'll just, okay, I'll hop on and I'll look at, at see what's going on on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. Um, so I try to do it in the cracks. And then I, I also do it uh, kind of in the morning after I've done my time with Jesus. So I want to hear the father's voice before I listen to somebody else's voice on Facebook or, or other socials. So I'll do my, my Jesus time. Uh, and then I'll just like catch up. Like, what did I miss overnight or whatever? And I tend to do the same thing kind of before I go to bed, not last thing. Cause I don't want that to be the last thing I think about before I go to sleep, but I just, I want to catch up on the day. And some of that for me, and I know Bethany for you too, it is a ministry base. 
I, I learn things about the people that are a part of, of my flock that I want to care yes. for. And so mm-hmm. I feel some level of responsibility. I don't think I would like in a personnel committee be held responsible for it, but I still <laughs> feel like it's a way for me to be responsible to know my people and what's going on in their lives. And so I okay. use it as a tool. And when I, I guess one of the boundaries I've set for myself is when it goes from being a tool to a black hole, then I just say, I'm, I'm going to get out. Like, I know that I've gone now from trying to find out what's going on with my friends and family to, wow, that was really interesting. I'm going to dive into that. It's not not traction then it's distraction. And so that's when I, I try to always just stop and not let myself watch the, I don't watch cat videos, but everybody talks about cat videos. So, um, you know, my mother who will probably listen to this podcast watches most of the videos that show up on her newsfeed. And she's surprised that I don't, I almost never do maybe one every month or so, unless somebody specifically says, Hey, would you look at this? Then yes, I will. And, and a friend from church sent me a video yesterday in Facebook messenger. And I will watch that video because somebody asked me to, but I just yeah. don't watch the ones in my feed that that's distracting for me. And I, I'd rather do the mm. things that give me traction than the things that don't give me traction. Yep. It's the same reason why like my kids don't have phones yet. They don't have TVs in their bedrooms. Like I want to protect their like sleeping time. For example, I know there's been a lot of articles about teenagers staying up all night, you know, on Snapchat or whatever and not getting enough sleep. But the same can be true for husbands and wives um, to really protect that time at the end of the day um, and not be looking at a screen um, or, a, or a TV for that matter at the end of the day. So that's definitely a consideration as well. Yeah. Bethany, what helps you? Cause I know you are a social media person. Um, I don't think you're addicted to it. I don't see you like living on it all the time. Um, but we're friends on the socials, as they say. What helps you um, yeah, with, with boundaries around that so that you don't overindulge or whatever? I try not to chase too many things. You know, you can okay. link to other people's and then other people's and then other people's. And I try right. not to do that unless it's going to really be important for me to know. If it's okay. just not that important for me to know about gardening for example, because I don't mm-hmm. have a garden or murder hornets or whatever. <laughs> yes, it's all the rage in the last couple of days. Yeah. I don't need to go chasing down what does it look like, where does it live, um, things like that. So I try not to do that. I just try to rein in that impulse. Now, I'm not perfect in that. Um, the other thing, honestly, is I don't accept every friend request that I get. Mm-hmm. So I try to be judicious about who that circle of people is um, on my Facebook uh, group that I'm trying to kind of keep up with. Um, And then I I really kind of like you, I try to only look during the cracks of my day in the morning and sometime in the evening before bed. Um, Not to say I don't ever spend two hours scrolling through Facebook because I have done that, but I try not to do that regularly. And some external controls may be helpful if you struggle with that. Um, listener, not you, Bethany, but you listener, um, (laughs) if you struggle with that. So I, the shoe fits, you know, the shoe fits. Yeah. Um, I've heard of people saying, I'll just, you know, I'll say, Hey Siri, set a timer for five minutes. And then, mm-hmm. which actually I probably shouldn't have said that because Siri probably just set a timer for five minutes. Oh but, no. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> that, that way you have some external means of accountability and you can just say, okay, I'm done. You know, I'm, I, I would like to keep going, but I don't have more time. So if that helps you, by all means do that. I think personality types, uh, when you mentioned chasing the rabbits, you know, the, the killer hornet or whatever, um, there are personality types that are very prone to that. And it's one of the beauties of that personality type. So don't deny who you are and your passions and interests. Just set boundaries so that you do it in a way mm -hmm. that gives you traction rather than serves to be a distraction. Um, for me, another one is television. I love TV. Um, I, I think there are more good TV shows on, and some of that's because of you know, things like Netflix and Hulu. And, you know, like PBS now has really good TV shows. And, I mean, that wasn't the case 10 years ago. There, there's just a lot of good entertainment available. I don't necessarily mean wholesome. There is good wholesome entertainment available. Um, I just mean there's a lot of well-done stuff. And so it makes it easy. I mean, you really can't run out. Like there's just, okay, we're released a new season of this. Okay. So I could watch that for the next two days. Um, <laughs> and so television can be for me a pretty significant distraction and I have to guard against that. I like a lot of shows. I, I, um, I like crime shows. I like shows that talk about the way people think. Um, I think it's probably because I think I'm weird and it normalizes me when I watch shows about people that really are weird, like criminal minds. Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> so I enjoy watching TV. Um, I tend to watch TV, however, in the background. So I have a laptop. I do almost all of my work on a laptop. And so I will sit in front of the TV with uh, the, my laptop open and doing stuff. And I don't, I don't watch TV like I'm fully present with it, uh, or at least not very often. I try to do that with UK basketball. Go Big Blue Nation. Um, and really, there are very few other things, I guess, maybe some NFL games, big games, Super Bowl, that kind of stuff. But otherwise, I watch Distracted, which I'm not sure helps me in either case. But I'm just being confessional and telling you that one of the ways that I think I experience distraction is with television. For you, it might be YouTube, uh, you know, especially for younger folks than me. Um, they spend more time watching videos on YouTube than they do um, yeah. series on, on television. That's true. And then the last one for distraction for me is about decision-making. Uh, and, and this may not, I don't know if it fits as neatly as the other two, but I find myself distracted by meaningless decisions. Um, and I get, I get decision fatigue. You know, most of us make thousands of decisions every day. And uh, one of my favorites is um, I, I really like fun socks. And so I'll pick out socks before I pick out a shirt that goes with the socks. But I really will look at like, 10 or 15 pair of socks and see which one I feel like wearing that day. I mean, I just don't need to take that much time. It's a distraction from things that I could be using that other 45 seconds. And it, I'm not that, I'm not that messed up about my time management. I don't think, but um, when I, when I spend a lot of time on meaningless decisions, then I get decision fatigue and I can't make good decisions, which give me traction. And so I am distracted by making lots of small decisions. And I think more of those small decisions that you can not care about or not hold on to can free you up to make better decisions with, uh, with the larger, more important ones. So I try to delegate as many decisions as I can. And I don't mean tasks, I mean decisions. So I will say to the person who's running screens, I want you to build the show and you pick the backgrounds and you pick the font, you know, whatever it is, like you make all those calls. If I think it's terrible, then I'm going to call a timeout. But if it's just not what I would prefer, then I, I, it's okay. I don't have to decide that. And it frees me up to decide other things. And so many other deals. Um, I've been texting this morning with a guy working on an audio mix 
for our service that we will air on Sunday. And I, I, I listened to the whole service. He did a great job with it. I probably, if I were sitting at the control panel with him, I probably would have mixed some things a little differently, but I, I don't know that mine would be better. It would just be different. And so I don't have to make that decision. And I let him do it the way that he wants to do it. And I don't let him like I'm in charge of him. I just, you know, it's my area of responsibility, I guess. So I, I want to be faithful to do it well, but he's doing it well. And so I, I tossed back one solution that I thought might need a little attention. And then I said, if you don't think it needs help, don't do it. Like I trust your ear. You, know, you, you do that. And Again, I delegated the decision. I didn't just delegate a task. And the more of that I can do as a leader, then the less decision fatigue I have. And when it comes time to make decisions that I need to make that are really um, the kind of stuff that I should be focusing on, the things that do give me and my ministry traction, then I get to do that. So I, I'm, I'm trying to get better and better about delegating decisions. What would you say to the person who feels like they're a control freak and the idea of doing that gives them, makes them sweat? Yeah. Craig Rochelle says you can have, you can have control or you can have growth, but you can't have both. So yeah. So if you want to grow personally, if you want your ministry to grow, if you want your church to grow, if you want your business to grow, if you want your family to grow, if you want the people around you to grow, then you can either control and limit that growth, or you can let go of control and empower that growth. And I find that to be more and more um, validated, the more and more I try to not take control. A friend, uh, gosh, church I served when Emily was born. So 22 years ago was in Eastern Pennsylvania. Um, I love those people so much. But some of them didn't love me as much as I love them, and they would accuse me of being a control freak. And so I talked to my best friend, who was a, a really key leader in my ministry about it. And I said, am I a control freak? And he said, no, you're not a control freak. You're a quality control freak. But as soon as you feel like it's going to be done well, you don't have any control issues over that at all. You just want to make sure things are done well. And so that was an incredibly helpful learning for me about myself. And now I know that. And so I... I try to give clear enough instructions that I can trust that it will be done well. And then also hold on to enough um, supervision so that I can see well that it's being done well. And if it's not, then I, I can intervene and, and offer um, some perspective, whatever. And gosh, that just to say stuff like that feels like I know what I'm doing. And I, I, I so walk through every day just trying to figure it out. But that's one well, of the that's- things that's helped me a lot. It's very similar to parenting, right? You start giving your kids more and more decisions, yeah. more and more responsibility, more and more freedom, but you don't just like not know what they're doing right. because then they might get into trouble. <laughs> yes. I, I have never had this thought till right now. I hope it's good. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, no, wait. Maybe you should careful. put it on the back burner I, first. <laughs> I might should, but I'm not going to because it, so, um, it feels so right. Uh, I really struggle with the image of parent and child comparing the relationship of somebody who's leading to those they lead because a parent is by necessity a position of authority and of the the greater influence, the greater role, all of that sort of thing. And I don't think of myself as somebody's parent when they're a part of my church. I, they are not my children. They, they are grownups. Like they can make their own decisions. I trust them to do that. However, the thing that popped in my head with that comparison today that I've, I've never thought of before is we, when we parent well, we do it from a place of love and for what's best for our children. If we're going to lead 
adults well. We want to do that from a place of love and what's best for the people that we lead. And so we're not treating them like they're less than us or like they're like they're littler than us or like they are not as smart or wise or whatever. That We're just treating them like we love them and like mm-hmm. we want them to do well. And so yeah. I, it's, that helps It's me. an imperfect metaphor for sure. sure. It's not exactly yeah. the same, but there are lots of similarities. And I think what you're saying is you have to have respect for the people mm. that you lead, just yeah. like you should respect your children. I mean, the Bible says don't frustrate them. You know, we're not allowed to do that, to make them bitter towards us because we treat our children like they're slaves or something. We're not supposed to do that either. But but it's good. It's it's good to make that distinction, I think, too. I think so, too. I I do think it's a helpful analogy. It's just one that I struggle with because I don't want people to feel like I'm treating them like kids. And that probably says something about my brokenness more than about the analogy. But that's, um, yeah. So those are some things that help me with traction and things that I confess to you, um, dis my ability to have traction. I'd be really curious when you listen to this episode, um, leave a comment. Tell us some of the things that help you have traction, some of the things that frustrate you when, when you do them because you know that it's dissing traction for the things that you feel like God has called you to do. Uh, if, if you have things that are meaningful about that, shoot me an email directly at rodellis at gmail.com. I will, I will read that and respond to that. I'd love to hear about that. If there's a way I can help, I don't know what it would be, but if there is a way I can help, I'd be honored to do that. I just, I really want us to all do, and again, I, I've mentioned this in an episode a while back, but I want us all to be able to get to the end of our life and say what Jesus said. I've done everything my father sent me to do. Mm-hmm. And if I live my life dissing the traction that God wants me to have to do the things he made me to do, then I know I'm falling short of, of what he's made it possible for me to do. I don't mean I've fallen short of the glory of God. I mean, we all do that. I mean, I'm falling short of what he has charged me to do. So I want to diss the things that are distracting and I want to embrace the things that give me traction. Is that helpful? Yes. Good. So how does that connect to worship? I don't have any other idea, any idea other than to say, if you are a worship leader, it has everything to do with the way that you lead worship. You need to lead the people you lead with as much traction as you can have to be as faithful as you can be to your father and to your flock. I I want you to lead them well, and God wants you to. And so do the things that make that the best it can be, which are the things that give you traction. It's not just about personal productivity anymore. It's about how do we build the kingdom of God and empower people to worship. So every soul sings. So thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. See ya.